Several years ago, Katie and I watched the movie Lincoln about our 16th president. And this was, of course, a film produced by Hollywood, but it was based on historical events. And it at least gave us a Hollywood eyes version of uh, what happened in our nation's history, you know, whether it's fully factual or not. And we saw Abraham Lincoln, uh, portrayed by Daniel Day-Lewis, arguing for the equality of all people, no matter the color of their skin, and fighting with passion for the abolition of slavery to secure, as he said, the dignity for future generations. And at the end of the film, it felt like this great victory for, for our country. One of our presidents uh, fought against slavery. He fought for equality and dignity of all people, and he won. And so it felt like, oh, today our country no longer commits that horrible racist practice. And I ended the movie feeling a sense of happiness and pride. Interestingly, in, in that same week, we watched another movie called The Help. And the abolition of slavery happened in 1863, and The Help was set uh, almost exactly 100 years later in the 1960s during the Civil Rights Movement. And this movie did not claim to be based on historical events, but was still representing life in the South. It followed a woman named Skeeter who came back to her hometown in Jackson, Mississippi, pursuing a career in journalism. And many of the white families in her hometown had African-American maids whom they called the help. And the black maids would help with the kids and the food and the cleaning, but Skeeter soon found that these African-American maids were experiencing terrible treatment from the white women that employed them. And Skeeter built a relationship with a few of the maids and asked if they would be willing to tell their stories so that she could publish them to the rest of the world and expose the horrible ways that they were still being treated um, by other people. In the first movie, I saw the abolition of slavery with these grand speeches about all people being created equal. And at the end of it, slavery was abolished, and I felt proud of our country, like we could give ourselves this pat on the back for fighting and not enslaving people based on the color of their skin and all people being created equal and having dignity and rights. But in the same week, I watched a movie based 100 years later where I saw white people treating black people as lesser and felt like not much had changed and we still had a long way to go. And today we're talking about a tough topic. It's been 160 years since the abolition of slavery and five decades since the civil rights movement, but the protests we're seeing happen over the past week and a half show that things are still not quite right in our country in regards to race. The protests of last, the last week and a half have been happening, have been happening around our country, and not just uh, in our country, but around the world, uh, have been sparked by um, the recent murder of George Floyd on May 25th, and, and just so you know, I know there's a lot of little kids here, and I've tried to really keep the language here to be, uh, you know, at a rating that is appropriate, and I hope I've, I've been successful in that. Uh, he was killed by four police officers in Minneapolis at the age of 46, but before that, there was already um, Ahmaud Arbery on four, February 23rd, um, who was pursued by two white men in uh, their truck. He was just out jogging, and he looked like somebody who, somebody else who had committed a crime, and they thought that, oh, this is that guy that committed that crime, and so let's pursue him, and he was killed. And then there was also Breonna Taylor, who was killed by police on March 13th. They entered her apartment with a no-knock warrant, 
uh, and she was killed. And they, they thought there was a drug dealer in her home, and he, which there wasn't, um, and it was just her and her boyfriend there, and she was killed by police. And these three deaths of black men and women has sparked these protests, the most recent of which is George Floyd. And if you've been at our church for a while, you know I very rarely comment on, on news stories. I, we stick to scripture, and I rarely you know, take, you know, let the news of the day kind of drive what we're talking about on Sunday morning. But this is an issue that isn't going away anytime soon, and the, the protests are rightly bringing to light a racial problem that our country has had for a long time that we haven't fully dealt with as a country and that we're going to be dealing with for a long time. As the church, we can't ignore it and hope it'll just go away. As God's people, we shouldn't hope that these protesters uh, just, you know, would they just please calm down and we can just go back to life as normal. As God's people, we shouldn't hope for that. We We shouldn't hope that they could just get it out of their system. And as a church, we need to care about the equality of all people because God cares about that. And so let me pray as we uh, begin talking about this. Father, would you please help us as we have this conversation, as we look at your word, to see what you have to say about favoritism, about the equality of all people, and about how you want us to address this in our country and our own lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I was asking God what he wants us to hear during this time. Is there something he wants us to hear from the protests um, of what is happening in our world? And perhaps you feel uncomfortable that I'm even talking about this right now. Maybe you're wondering, why are we talking about protests in a church service? And to be honest, I feel a bit uncomfortable too. Uh, To my knowledge, maybe you can correct me, I've never talked about racism, racial inequality, or discrimination in a sermon before. And in talking about it today, I feel like I'm about to have the birds and the bees talk uh, with my first child. I haven't had that yet, and you know, I got another couple years to do that. But I'd imagine you go into that talk being like, I know this needs to happen. I feel totally unprepared for it. Uh, I've read what I can read, but you know, this just needs to happen. I've never done it before, but we're got to do this. And you just hope you don't mess it up too bad. And so that's kind of how I feel right now. And that's, I feel today. I know we need to have this talk. I've prepared the best I can, and I feel like every sentence I say could possibly be mistaken, offensive, or bad advice, and because I'm so new to this, and I'm no expert at all. My eyes were opened to the deep issues in our country while I was in seminary by professors uh, who were teaching me on this topic and the books they had me read, but just the fact that I used two movies in the opening of this sermon shows how little real-life experience I have on this topic. It's very limited, my real-world experience. And so, so I'm sharing with you today as a pastor who has few answers and a lot to learn. I'm thankful that I have God's Word as a guide, and we just went through the book of James in May, and I believe James would have a lot to say of, to us about what's going on today. It's very, you know, providential that we were going through James in May and then all this happened. Uh, He'd have a lot to say to us. So we're going to focus on the issue of favoritism in chapter 2. James says in chapter 2 verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And partiality is another word for favoritism. 
It means drawing distinctions between people based on certain criteria. And James's readers were drawing distinctions based on how much money people had. They would size people up and put them in categories uh, determined by how much money was in their wallets. And then they would treat them differently based on those categories, whether they're in the category of rich or whether they're in the category of poor. And they'd show favoritism toward rich people, and they'd treat poor people worse than they were treating rich people. But we can also do this based on skin color. We can use skin color as the criteria by which we show favoritism. We can treat people differently based on the color of their skin. We can treat someone better or worse based on their skin color. And so let's talk about how favoritism shows up first in our country, and then let's show, talk about how it shows up in our own lives. And so first, we are a country that shows favoritism based on skin color. We're a country that shows favoritism based on skin color. <clears throat> Slave labor is a part of our country's history. It's a dark part of our country's history. And part of that slave labor was the belief that people of one color were inferior. And that belief doesn't just go away. That, and it didn't just go away with the abolition of slavery in the 1860s. And that's why segregation was still happening in the 1960s. You can see the belief didn't go away. That's why the civil rights movement happened. It's because people still believe that one color was inferior to another. That's why the civil rights movement was necessary. That's why we're seeing police brutality today and protests in response to it. And you may have heard the term white privilege before and didn't quite know what that meant. It, it means that we live in a country where white people have always had the upper hand. White people have never been enslaved or treated as less than human in our country. Our country has always been built for white people to succeed and prosper. It wasn't built for people of color to succeed and prosper. White privilege means that even though we all perhaps have similar goals to live a happy and good life, white people experience far less friction when it comes to achieving that goal. Imagine we're all put into different lanes in a swimming pool with the goal of swimming to the other end. The referee says go and everyone who isn't white discovers that they're swimming against a current to get to the other end of the pool, whereas white people don't have a current that they're swimming against. That's what it means to have white privilege, that our country was, from the beginning, has had those things built in place. That's what it means to have white privilege. You don't, if you're white-skinned, you don't have that current that you're swimming against. And we can see from history that adding a few amendments to the Constitution in the 1860s doesn't change everything. It doesn't change people's deeply ingrained ways of looking at each other and treating each other. It doesn't change a country's values and culture overnight. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had segregation and the need for the Civil Rights Movement. But the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which ended segregation in public places and banned employment discrimination, didn't fix us either. There are things deeper that, that cannot be fixed by acts, laws, and amendments. Systems need to change. Culture needs to change. People need to change. And that's why there are protests happening now over the murder of George Floyd by the police officers in Minneapolis. These protesters are trying to get our attention and tell us that 
things in our country are still not right. Things in our country need to change. So first, we're a country that shows favoritism based on skin color. It's a part of our history that we're still trying to undo and that we're still trying to reform and change. So, and then second, we are people who show favoritism based on skin color. We're people who show favoritism based on skin color. And you may resist accepting that truth, that you are a person who shows favoritism based on skin color. And with all the love, gentleness, and respect that I can, I want to say to you that unless you are a perfect human being, you show favoritism based on skin color. It's been programmed into you by our culture, our entertainment, your family system, and our society. You've been programmed to assume things about people based on their skin color that causes you to show prejudice and favoritism and to have biases. And when you see someone's skin, you assume things about their education level, where they're from, what they do for a living, whether they are a, a threat, whether they do drugs, whether you can trust them, and so forth. We've been programmed to have stereotypes for every race and every skin color. And we show favoritism based on that. So I'm going to read a version of James chapter 2 that I wrote, this isn't from the Bible, using skin color instead of rich and poor people. And you could, I'm going to use black and white, but you could replace any skin color. And you could do it from any perspective too. It's not just between blacks and whites, but you could use it in any scenario. And I'm going to use, you know, walking to a worship gathering, but you could do it, you know, in a store or walking down the street. But let me just reread it. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a white person comes into your assembly and a black person comes in, and if you treat the white person better than the black person, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen to make every race rich in faith and an heir of the kingdom? which he's promised to those who love him. And James is a big fan of making us consider whether we really believe what we say we believe. James said in this letter that if we really believe in the God that we say we believe in, then we can't show favoritism. If we really believe the message that we say we believe, then we can't show favoritism. Favoritism based on money, skin color, or any other criteria is incompatible with belief in Jesus Christ as our King. And so what kind of God do we believe in? What is the message that we say we believe? Some people have said that coronavirus is the great equalizer because it's affecting everyone. You know, it's made us all equal. It's the great equalizer. And sure, coronavirus is affecting us all, but it isn't affecting us all equally. And I don't have time to get into how it's having different effects on different ethnicities and how it isn't playing out equally across socioeconomic lines. Coronavirus isn't the great equalizer. But let's talk about the gospel message and what does affect us all equally. God created all of us equally in His image. God created humanity in His image to represent Him on this earth, and He decided it would be a good idea for us to represent Him in different colors. Different skin colors was His idea. No matter the color of our skin, we are equally made in the image of God to live for Him. 
But we've all rejected his kingship over our lives. We've all gone our own way, and so we all stand equally condemned before him. One of the most horrible sins we commit is the sin of racism. Instead of loving people of other skin colors as ourselves, we don't see them as one of us to be loved as ourselves. We see someone of another skin color as one of them. And even though every skin color is equally made in this image, we take our differences and we use them to create distrust, discrimination, and divisions. And we group up with people like us and we see people who aren't like us as worse than us. And in the worst cases, we see them as less than human. We form prejudices and stick to our group. We create labels and make judgments about people based on their skin color. We form stereotypes and, even don't, and don't even find out what they're really like. We just stick to our own clan of the same skin-colored people. And James goes on to say in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you're doing well. But when you show partiality, you're committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. James says that we break God's law when we do this. When we don't love others as ourselves because they don't like don't look like us, we are breaking God's law. The good news is that we can all be equally forgiven. God sent His Son Jesus to die for us so that any person of any color can stand before Him on equal footing beside any one of every other color. In God's family, it doesn't matter whether we're black or white or Asian or Hispanic or Indian or Middle Eastern or anything else. When we trust in Jesus, He loves us the same. As one big, diverse family, God's plan is to have people from every tribe and tongue and nation standing around His throne, worshiping and praising Him. God wants a family of every color. James tells us that if we really believe in a God who doesn't play favorites based on skin color, then we can't play favorites either. If we believe in a God who created all races in His image, then we can't show prejudice. If we believe in the gospel message that Jesus died to save people who are of every ethnicity and color, then we can't show favoritism to one color over another. We need to love every color as ourselves. And there's a well-meaning phrase that we sometimes use where we might ask God to uh, make us colorblind, by which we mean we don't want to see someone for the color of their skin. And the heart behind it is good in that we don't want to judge someone for the color of their skin. We want to just embrace them. But I think the color of our skin can be a beautiful thing that we don't need to be blind to. God made us with different skin colors, and the goal isn't now to be blind to those different skin colors. Different skin colors is God's gift of beauty and diversity to us. And like usual, we've turned God's gift into a way to divide ourselves, but that doesn't mean now we have to be blind to the gift, but to receive it as the gift that it is. And think of the rainbow. We don't want to be colorblind to the different colors of the rainbow. We want to see all of the colors of the rainbow to appreciate them for what they are. Each color next to each other is what makes the rainbow a rainbow, and appreciating the diversity of colors is what makes the rainbow beautiful. The diversity makes the beauty. But we don't want to show favoritism to purple because it's purple and hate orange because it's not purple and treat orange poorly because it's orange and not purple. 
We want to love each color for what it is and see the whole rainbow together in all its beauty and not be blind to the colors. So what should we do? James calls us to action over and over again. He says in James 4.17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We can't stand back and do nothing. We have structures, system, and a culture in our country that shows favoritism. And we sometimes hear people who make outright racist comments around us. We can't just say to people suffering under these things, Well, you know, I hope it gets better for you someday. James says, you know, that's just worthless. This is empty. It's just empty talk. James says we need to put our faith in God who hates favoritism into action. If we really believe in this God, then we can't do nothing. And I don't want to offer you some sort of three-part plan for changing the world because I don't, I don't have one. I'm, I mean, maybe you have one, but for me, I'm just, you know, like I said, I just feel like I am having the birds and the bees talk, and I've never really talked about this before. And I know, I know one thing not to do based on what I've read on this topic. We shouldn't take a, well, I'm just going to fight racism and equality in my own heart and kind of just let other people do their own thing. That's not the right approach to take because uh, this approach, from what I've read, actually contributes to the problem because it never moves us toward people of the other race. Because it says, you know what, I'm just going to kind of work on it in my own heart. If I ever meet somebody of a different color, you know, I'm going to treat them nice, but I'm never actually going to go out of my way to meet somebody. I'm just going to stay in my own bubble of people of my color and, you know, kind of let them stay in their own bubble of their color. But if I ever meet one, I won't hate them. It's also a very individual approach and doesn't address the structural and cultural uh, problems of our country that need to be changed. It basically takes no action, and James is very much against that. He says, what's the, what's the point of that? Like, you know, I'm just going to do it in my heart. James says, no, your faith needs to be an action-oriented faith. And it, so what I've read says this just contributes to the problem. There's been research done on how this way... This is a way a lot of white Christians respond, and it's really unhelpful. It just contributes to further perpetuating the problem that we see happening in our country. But there are two things that we can do. One is speak out against degrading language and behavior that you hear and see. Tell people that's not okay when you hear it or see it. You know, don't tolerate it. And a really, a really great thing that you can do is listen. Be a humble listener. Listen to what the protesters are saying. Don't take a posture of, you know, I just hope this all blows over. Like, I just kind of want our cities to get cleaned up and for this to get off the news and this to just go away. I don't know what this Black Lives Matter thing is about. You know, they're just always kind of upset about things. Like, let's just let this blow. I hope this just blows over eventually. Like, no, take a humble posture and let's listen to the issues at hand and of what's going on right now and to uh, all, all the issues in our country um, when these come up. Um, so take a humble posture of listening, especially if you're uh, of the majority um, ethnicity in our country.